Hey listeners, thanks so much for tuning in to another podcast of Hacking History. I'm Mike. I'm Todd. And we're just a couple of old history teachers that love to talk history. Today we're going to be talking about the Progressive Era. Uh, just to give you a, a definition of what the Progressive Era was, it was a time period in American history between the the years of 1890 to about 1920, give or take on both ends. It was a period of widespread social activism and political reform across the United States. The main objectives of the progressive movement were addressing problems caused by the industrialization, urbanization, immigration, and political corruption that we had covered in our former podcast on the Gilded Age. The movement primarily targeted political machines and their bosses. So our subtopics today will be um, the Civil Service Reform and Antitrust Acts. Throw a little bit of conservation in there with it too. So this is kicking off our second season. Our first season was the Gilded Age. Uh, Like we probably said a few times before, these dates aren't locked in. As uh, the Gilded Age starts to wind down, the Progressive Era starts to grow. And that's going to be pretty true about any of these eras that we discuss. So, Mike, uh, what is progressivism? Well, being a progressive teacher, um, I know that, well, I think just doing this podcast is one of the ways that that as teachers, history teachers, we're trying to be progressive, um, trying to stay on the cutting edge of things. We're trying to always become more effective in what we're doing, more efficient in what we're doing. And uh, I know in our area of the world, farming and ranching are big business, uh, especially farming. And the farmers around here uh, go to great extremes to do things like uh, get the highest yields on their crops, uh, to take care of their land. They, they understand that, that soil conservation is incredibly important. We do a lot of irrigation up here in, in this in the Panhandle of Texas, and so uh, they've come up with uh, advanced irrigation techniques to conserve to conserve the water. All these things are kind of state of the art, trying to be better at what we do, try to be more efficient at what we do, to think out of the box, and that's kind of the way I look at at this era in history. Um, it was following the Gilded Age. As I had mentioned before, there were a lot of problems with monopolies. You've got the big um, uh, captains of industry, is what they were called, Rockefeller and Carnegie and Morgan and Vanderbilt and so forth. And um, there was a lot of corruption that came along with that. We had mentioned Boss Tweed uh, with Tammany Hall up in New York City. Um, There was price fixing. Um, this sort of thing that was kind of putting a bad taste in everybody's mouth and I think there was a a real wake-up call especially after Teddy Roosevelt was elected president that people needed to have um, they they needed to to feel like their government was being forthright and honest and giving them a fair shake in life and uh, this is kind of what the whole attitude that starts this era in American history. So maybe giving them a square deal. There you go. A square deal. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
So well, and we we have you know can't really talk about this era without mentioning some presidents during this time. Uh, definitely Roosevelt, I think, is kind of the one that sits at the top when you talk about uh, progressive presidents. We also have Taft, who has you know probably better known for the bathtub alleged incident. What, uh, Todd, was that a true story? Do you do you believe that? I don't know that it's really quite factual. The story going that he had uh, was so large that he got stuck in his bathtub and they had to use butter to get him out. Um, and I guess if that's not true, that probably didn't create the butter shortage that followed after that where little children were crying, eating their toast without butter because <laughs> all the butter was used to get the president out of the bathtub. Uh, but I, I think he weighed in at about 330 pounds, if my history is correct. He's a good-sized guy. He was kind of a, he wasn't really a out-there kind of person like Theodore Roosevelt was. He uh, was more of a private person, probably didn't enjoy the public eye as much. I think he was much happier later when he became one of the uh, justices on the Supreme Court. Uh, and we get also Woodrow Wilson, who also did some reforms. He was a uh, president of Princeton University. He came in late, and he will lead us into our uh, World War One, and will be a president during that next era that we will talk about, the world power era. Yeah. So I think in, in our uh, podcast to come, just right around the corner, we're talking more about the subtopics of the progressive era. We'll be hitting more on all three of those presidents. But but i got to tell you right up front, Teddy Roosevelt, I think, is one of my all-time favorite presidents. And uh, it wasn't just the fact that he was sort of a cowboy, but he uh, he was kind of a man's man. But also he had a real heart for for nature. He had a heart for um, just fairness across the board for for the for the just ordinary American person. Um, he understood um, that business was important. He understood that. It employed so many people in America, and he had a real vision of how business, the business world, and America, the American people, could prosper if everybody kind of got a fair shake at things. And um, so anyway, I'm going to try not to go too much into him right now. Um, but he is, just want to put it out there, he's one of my favorite presidents. He, he's, a, you know, he's, he's hard not to like. He was very appealing to the masses. He was a hero of San Juan Hill, or even if he was a minor hero, he definitely got the attention. Uh, he you know, created the Bull Moose Party, a split off from the Republicans when he was unhappy. He, he was president first, and then you have Taft, not entirely happy with what Taft was doing. Uh, splintered the party, decided to run as an independent under the Bull Moose Party, which basically split the Republican vote and handed it over to Woodrow Wilson. And interestingly enough, some of the comments he made still kind of resonates today. Uh, I think one of those quotes was that uh, patriotism is loyalty to the country, not to a president or an elected official. Yeah. And as we talk about the dynamics today, you know, it still kind of resonates some of the things that he was saying, you know, over a hundred years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like that. I sure do. Well, Todd, you want to jump into civil service reform? Sure thing. I'll throw a little conservation in with it as well. So, 
It's hard to not hard to talk about this without talking about uh, what's leading up to it. So civil service reform is an effort to uh, clean up the hiring and practices that's occurring within the government. Uh, and during the Gilded Age, we had a spoils system, political patronage. Basically, I get elected, I'm going to hire my buddies or the people that help pay to get me elected. And now you got a bunch of people in government that aren't necessarily qualified for these jobs. We get uh, President Garfield's assassination by a guy named Charles Guiteau, if I'm saying that correctly. This guy is upset. Okay, He's upset because he didn't benefit from the spoil system. He didn't get the job he wanted. So I guess you know, from that perspective, that's time for this country to react to something. When you're getting your president assassinated, maybe we need to clean up this system. And we will get the Pendleton Civil Service Reform Act. This will be established in 1883. It will stipulate that government jobs should be awarded on the basis of merit. The act provided selection of government employees by competitive exams rather than ties to politicians or political affiliation. You start to see the development of a civil service of career government employees who are a little more protected by the changes of the political winds that come and, and blow by so frequently. What a novel idea to, to hire people in those very important positions based on their knowledge and their education instead of being based on who they were friends with. I, I think that would just be a, a, a no-brainer there. You would think so. And other reforms we see during this time, we get the initiative, the referendum, the recall. So the initiative allows for voters to propose a law by putting it on a ballot for approval. Referendum gives us the right to vote for that initiative. So that's us voting on that initiative. Recall is enabling us to remove an elected official by forcing them to face another election. So there's some reforms there on if we can't get the laws proposed to the legislative body, maybe we can do it ourselves. We can vote on them. And if somebody isn't doing what we think they need to do or they're being criminal, we can also do a recall and make them face another election. Yeah. You know, though this period we are seeing an increase in democracy in our country and I think again this is one of the many things of the progressive era that was reactive to what was going on in the Gilded Age with all the political corruption but you know also uh, the monopolies forming uh, eliminated competition and it actually was putting the axe on capitalism because capitalism is based on um, uh, competition with a free market economy and that sort of thing so you know they're looking back on the Gilded Age um, we see so many things that needed to be corre uh, corrected and and this again is just one more it's adding more democracy giving more power to the people and um, reinstating uh, hopefully some trust back into the government well, and speaking of direct democracy or democracy, we get the 17th Amendment in 1913. This forces a direct election of senators. Now, up to this point, a senator from a state was elected by the state legislatures. So as you can manage, that's a small group that you have to work through, maneuver, or coax into you being elected as a senator as opposed to the entire state. That creates opportunity for even more corruption, more graft, things of that nature.
It's it's hard to think about this, Todd. That you know now we vote for our two U.S. senators and and we don't think anything of it. But prior to the Seventeenth Amendment, the the men and women down at our state capitals were making that decision. And, um, you know, that was, of course, based on which political party was strongest at the state capitals. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm usually I'm not too excited about who is elected at our state capitals, less alone do I want those people to to pick who our two U.S. senators will be. Yeah, and it seems like today I'm always looking at, you know, really, is this all I have to choose to vote for? Or am I voting against somebody to keep somebody out? Um, but I still want that right. I don't want that surrendered to a state legislator making that uh, decision for me. So definitely a good move with the 17th Amendment in 1913. Sure. Now, there were some disasters that occurred during this time. In 1900, the Galveston hurricane was a good example of that. Uh, the, you know, as far as whom, how many were killed, it's hard to say. They speculate between six to 12,000 killed. Massive loss of life or a natural disaster. Uh, one of the problems that came after that is it could not get cleaned up. The city just could not find a way to fix itself. Uh, the state legislators eventually appointed a five-member commission, basically a five-member commission of experts to take over this. This worked so well that by uh, 1917, 500 cities across the country had use this example as their form of city government. So city governments today where you see commissioners or people that are in head of specific areas and are experts to be that, uh, all comes from a 1900 Galveston hurricane that could not get cleaned up. So that kind of wraps up a little bit of the spoils, you know, to for fixing it, uh, civil service reform. But I mentioned a little bit for a moment the uh, conservation that occurred. The first one I'm going to talk about is our first national park, Yellowstone. It came into existence in 1872. Now this is a little early. Uh, 1887 we'll see the U.S. Forest Bureau form, but we're starting to see efforts to protect some of these lands, uh, especially with the migration that is occurring westward and the consumption of land. Now land is getting set aside, including the government setting aside about 45 million acres of timberland for a national forest reserve. With Roosevelt, he's very big in the conservation. He's probably one of the biggest presidents when it comes to the protection of the lands. Uh, we get the Roosevelt National Reclamation Act of 1902. This enabled some federal water projects. We get Theodore Roosevelt and, and Woodrow Wilson have to a lesser extent all moving towards a progressive effort to make things better and to protect uh, with Wilson on the conservation yeah, he did some uh, he was also known for his banking reform and tariff reduction the uh, Federal Reserve Act uh, you know began operations in 1913 this established a central banking system which is kind of hard to imagine this country without a central banking system Today, but in 1913, that was an act pushed by Wilson, got through. Fortunately, uh, we now have that today. Okay, well, thank you, Todd. I sure do appreciate all of that on civil service reform. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to throw in there? 
Uh, no, I think that's that's pretty much a mouthful in those two little topics right there. I don't want to give too many people a headache. <laughs> uh, I could probably talk at nauseum about some of this stuff. So I think I'm going to hand this back to you. What do you have to talk about? Okay. Um, I will be talking about antitrust acts. And so the first thing I want to do is, is uh, talk a little bit about what is a trust. Well, it's sort of like a monopoly. And um, so we know that monopolies are illegal. Um, John D. Rockefeller uh, controlled about 90% of the oil industry at one point in America. Carnegie controlled by far the majority of the steel industry in America. And this was just not a good thing at all. Led to price fixing, led to uh, corruption, led to... Um, abuse of labor, uh, too much power in the hands of too few people for sure. So those guys got pretty creative and they said okay well if a monopoly is illegal then we'll kind of dance around that and create a trust. And so the, the, the trust are organizations of several businesses in the same industry and by joining forces the trust controls production and distribution of a product or service. So what does it do? It eliminates all competition. Um, it's not in one name, but for one company of one name, I should say, but they create a name for the trust. And so basically, um, kind of give you an example, Rockefeller or Carnegie, they could have gotten with their competitors and said, hey guys, we can't have a monopoly here, um, but we can all become richer than rich could possibly be by creating this trust. And in doing so, um, we will dance around these uh, monopoly laws and continue to set our own prices and continue to abuse uh, the consumer. So um, laws were put in to bust these up. And as mentioned earlier before, Roosevelt, Taft, and Woodrow Wilson were all known as trust-busting presidents. And they kind of all go about it in a little different way. But um, the first law that was passed was a Sherman Antitrust Law. And it was basically a law that dealt with uh, interstate commerce going from state to state. And um, because, let's say, if a, a railroad left um, Ohio full of corn and it was headed up into, um, say, Illinois, well, there could be an increase in rates going from that state to the, ne to the next. And before all this played out, the price would be so high on the corn or whatever it is that they were... Um, they were carrying on the train and uh, they were just gouging is is all they were doing it and, and it was making it difficult for the businesses to prosper it was making it difficult for the consumers to be able to afford it and uh, so the law was passed however the law didn't really allow the government the teeth that it took to enforce the law so a little bit later by about 1914 Clayton antitrust laws were passed and um, it continued with the Sherman Antitrust Act's ban on anti-competitive mergers 
and price gouging and so forth, but it also added some a few things. It would prohibit exclusive sales contracts, certain types of rebates, discriminatory freight agreements, and local price cutting maneuvers. And it would forbid certain types of holding companies. So it would actually end up giving the federal government some uh, some some weight there, some strength in enforcing the law, and it worked. It got to where uh, Teddy Roosevelt would go after these big trusts, and he would um, uh, sue them. And many times it would go to the Supreme Court. Sometimes it didn't work out in favor uh, of of um, Teddy Roosevelt, but many, many times it did. And it kind of got to the point where the the big business and Roosevelt would have a gentleman's type of agreement and saying they would come to him and say, hey, listen, we don't want to break these laws. We don't want to break uh, these these uh, trust laws. We don't want you to sue us. Uh, we We want you to see what we're doing wrong and fix it. So he definitely was able to get their attention and um, and play fair. So you know, uh, in in I do teach a course uh, history, but also teach economics class. And you know, Todd, one thing that that my class talks about quite a bit is how well our economy could do if everybody played fair and on a, a level playing ground. And competition would work. Uh, capitalism uh, would. Um, would would fare a whole lot better without these um, these monopolies or trust or breaking copyright laws and that sort of thing. But we also understand that it takes a firm government, a strong government, a government that is not really swayed by these lobbyists that are so powerful to keep that going. And that was one of the other things I really liked about Roosevelt. And um, and then of course Taft a little bit later on. He's going to really go after him. Um, as a matter of fact, maybe a little too harsh, but uh, Roosevelt is gonna gonna jump in the middle of that and try to slow some of that down. So, um, but anyway, that's that's a little bit about antitrust laws. So today, our government still uh, uses these this Clayton Antitrust Act many times. It's definitely not perfect. Um, we've got the old black eye of Enron that seems to show its head. I, uh, you know, you're talking about this reminds me of a use of this. We'll talk later if we're, well, you know, live long enough to get to the civil rights period to talk about <laughs> it. Um, but there was a case where a African American truck driver was in the South and traveling through a state and was denied access to a, a hotel mm. uh, based on his color. The uh, local state wasn't inclined to do anything about this, but the federal government was able to get involved because it interfered with interstate commerce. So that was kind of an interesting use many, many years later. What you see during this time as we talk about the progressives, it's, it's about the people. It's about you know, the middle class that's developed during this period, helping those you know, have an opportunity or a chance where we're coming out of the Gilded Age and we're seeing you know, tremendous wealth by very few and suffering by many others along the lines of other reforms we can talk about later during these podcasts. 
regarding child labor, uh, minimum, you know, work day hours, how many days in an hour to work. These things are all evolving during this period of the progressive movement where they're trying to look more towards uh, giving the people, as Roosevelt would have said on his election campaign, a square deal. Yeah, definitely. Yes, sir, you're right. Well, Todd, it looks like we're about out of time. We've kind of gone over our 20-minute our goal. Um, got anything else? No, I think we've covered it pretty good today. All right. Sure do appreciate you tuning in to the podcast.